right, we are back. There's uh, an item I wanted to talk about in the first segment we didn't get to. There's uh, the topic of birth tourism is now on the front burner somewhat. This is the concept that people come across the border to give birth and then have an anchor baby that then sort of gives them a certain legal status here in America. This is based on our nation's interpretation of the 14th Amendment. Republicans are currently pushing for congressional hearings to consider changing that rule to deny to such children the automatic citizenship currently uh, guaranteed by the Constitution, at least according to uh, the interpretation of people. Article by Bob Christie and Paul Weber, repeated in the Sacramento Bee, notes that the Pew Hispanic Center estimates that 8% of babies born in the U.S., that was as of 2008, have illegal immigrant parents. So I don't know who these experts are calling birth tourism rare, I myself performed that magic trick many times in my medical training, going into a, uh, a delivery room and presto change I have, voila, brought a new American citizen into the world. The article quotes John Fair, legal analyst for the Center for Immigration Studies, saying that women have traveled from across the world for the purpose of adding a U.S. passport holder to the family, as far away as China, Turkey, and as close as Mexico. The article notes that some pregnant Mexican women do come to the United States. In border cities like Nogales, women have been coming to the U.S. for decades to give birth, although the primary reason is better medical care, according to Santa Cruz County Sheriff Tony Estrada, per the article. They quote Princeton University demographer Douglas Massey, saying that in 30 years studying Mexican immigration, he'd never interviewed any migrants who said they came to the United States just to get citizenship for their children. I guess the key word in there is just, isn't it? Said Massey, Mexicans do not come to have babies in the United States. Well, Massey's out of his mind. And apparently up there in Princeton University in New Jersey is a little bit isolated from the realities that we have here in what admittedly used to be Mexican territory. I don't know. I don't think the conservatives are completely crazy on this one. Uh, we're one of the very few countries in the world that does allow someone to come in and regardless of their legal status, give birth to a new citizen. There seems to be some muddying of the waters on this. Uh, Newsweek had an article titled, What's so scary about an anchor baby? And then gave uh, a list of, uh, of people who uh, had, had foreign-born parents. Like Barack Obama, whose father was Kenyan. But it mentions like Frank Sinatra, who had Italian parents. Ray Bradbury, who had a Swedish mother. Leonard Nimoy, who had Ukrainian parents. Groucho Marx, whose parents were German Jews. Fred Astaire, whose dad was Austrian. Uh, you know, the question is, were any of these people's parents illegal when they were here and gave birth? Uh, I don't know. This is a difficult issue. And you know what? Let's hear from you. Let's drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and give us your opinion. Oh, and I forgot to mention an, an email sent us some time back in the wake of our discussion with uh, Bert Wilson about water in California. Steve, who, uh, who heard us up in Chico. In fact, Steve is, one of, is a host of Celt Radio on KZFR 90.1. Wrote to say the following. Hi, Doug. I got a good laugh when your guest suggested that we contact our representatives about protecting our water. Doug LaMalfa... Republican from Richvale, California, is my state senator and a rice farmer. He's one of the folks that receives our water from the taxpayer-funded water projects at about $17 per acre foot and then sells our water for between $200 to $900 an acre foot to other water interests. 
Steve added, I had a long conversation about water and many other interesting subjects with former State Assemblyman Rick Keene when he was in my bike shop recently. I do not necessarily agree with Mr. Keene on politics, but he is a great resource for information and a pretty decent human being. I do not believe my contacting him will make a major impact on his practices. <laughs> All right, well, Steve, point well taken, but I think you still need to find some you know, people that are receptive and lobby them. Uh, that Bert Wilson did mention Lois Wolk, and we're going to see what we can do to bring Lois Wolk on this program and give her uh, uh, an attaboy, or I guess gal in her case, uh, for her efforts uh, to do the right thing as regards California water. Steve adds that we enjoy the show up here in Chico, and yes, it is a great privilege for us to broadcast this program both here on uh, KDVS in Davis and to be rebroadcast a week later up in KZFR in Chico. We are going to go on the road sometime in the next uh, month or two up to Chico and see if we can't uh, and visit the good folks up at KZFR and report on it directly for everyone. Speaking of water, we were. Uh, there was an, an editorial piece in the Sacramento Bee, which I thought was curious. It was written by Juliet Christian Smith and Heather Cooley in what was described as a special to the Bee. Their point was the state water issues won't wait for a bond vote. The two authoresses note that uh, now that California lawmakers have pulled the $11 billion water bond measure off the November ballot, California is facing new questions about how to fix our longstanding water problems. They note that apparently $3 billion of approved bond funding from previous voter initiatives have not yet been spent, according to the Legislative Analyst's Office, and these existing funds should be made available for priorities such as repairing the Delta levees and restoring threatened ecosystems. That's a great idea, but they go on to talk about how important it is that we conserve water. Our position on this program is that water conservation doesn't do a damn bit of good if all the water you conserved gets shipped south to real estate interests in Southern California. Or as Steve points out, to, uh, to be sold to people who have a contract to get it at a cheap rate, but you know, allows them to freely then sell it to others at an, you know, a, a built-in gigantic profit. And speaking of that, where I live in Sacramento, which for the longest time had a... Uh, had a provision that banned water metering. They're coming around doing measurements, preparing to start the metering of our water. This is a bone I have to pick with certain people over at Friends of the River, an otherwise excellent uh, environmental group, which pushed uh, tirelessly to get water meters in Sacramento. I, I read in the paper every so often about uh, how, oh, we waste, we waste a lot of water up here compared to other places like, you know, Bakersfield. Yeah, I suppose we do waste more waters than towns out in the desert. Anyway, when it comes to metering water, to save water, to keep it in reservoirs, to ship for somebody else to use, I, I think this, this whole idea is uh, all wet. And we say somebody else, we're referring to corporate farmers, real estate developers, people who are eyeing vast tracts of uh, dry land in Southern California, as Bert Wilson pointed out, who would love very much to develop uh, those lands and make a fortune doing so, and the only thing stopping them is the fact they don't have enough water. In Jared Diamond's exhibit on collapse at the L.A. Museum of Natural History, uh, the final exhibit showed that Southern California had enough water from its various watersheds and basins to service about 1 million people. 20 million people live there, which means they've had to import a lot of water from a lot of other places. Down in the, uh, the Gulf of California, the Colorado River used to have a delta. 
I understand if you go down there now, you will find that the entirety of the river has been pumped out for irrigation purposes. And uh, Bert pointed out that a lot of people, actually it wasn't Bert, actually it was pointed out in that editorial piece in the Sacramento Bee that a lot of people complaining about uh, the sewage and how uh, Sacramento is insufficiently processing its sewage, and this is a big issue. Well, I mean, they're right about that as far as it goes. But it seems clear the people that really want to see uh, the water cleaned up are those who would like to take that cleaned up water and ship it elsewhere. I was kind of stunned a, f- a few weeks ago, actually a few months ago, to have had this really very colorful brochure show up. I think it was in the Sacramento Bee. Maybe it was in the News and Review. I don't, I don't remember. But it was paid for by familiesprotectingthevalley.com. And it talked about how, uh, well, there's this great... Delta Toilet Bowl is what it was referring to and had a map of major wastewater discharges in and around the Delta and talked about how each day up to 1 billion gallons of partially treated sewage is dumped into the San Sacramento San Joaquin Delta and associated waterways. Well, again, as far as, they, as far as that goes, yeah, that is a disgrace. Something should be done about that. We should spend extra money to uh, take the ammonia out of the sewage in, uh, you know, the Sac Metro area. But when I saw this, my question was, who's taking the time to print this up? And I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, families protecting the valley are one of these astroturf groups paid for by water interests. Uh, we haven't proven that, but we're going we're gonna to look into this. This is one of those great examples of how, uh, you know, the environmental costs of doing something cheaply are not necessarily factored very well into our economics. Sometimes some of the most important aspects of, of, uh, of an economic enterprise are, are ignored. The, the hidden environmental costs, etc. We, we've talked about that before. We'll talk about it again. Probably overdue to bring Matt Weiser back on the program. He's doing some fine reporting for the Sacramento Bee on this topic. By that, I mean the whole issue of California's water. Speaking of water, I was quite, uh, <laughs> I was quite amused by an article in the Midtown Monthly about the American River. I first discovered the joys of rafting down the American River through what, it, you know, by rights is an urban environment, but doesn't look like one. When I was a student at UC Davis, we would, we would pack up, drive over to Sacramento, rent rafts, and float down. Great activity, a, a real genuine treasure of, of this area. And while the article in the Midtown Monthly was quite complimentary about the, the plus side of... Uh, of the resource that is the American River, <laughs> had some had some pretty funny comments about uh, how you need to find holes in what was described as the bro zone layer. Article by Becky Grunwald uh, certainly <laughs> certainly has some laughs in it. Wrote Becky, I'll admit the bro drinking Keystone Light level. She writes, uh, I'll admit the quote bro drinking Keystone Light unquote level on the American River is high. But if you can find a bro-free spot to lay your towel, you'll be pleasantly surprised at the natural beauty and tranquility of our riverfront. I don't think Becky ever actually defines what she means by the bros. But this correspondent certainly has a vivid picture of the, uh, the tattooed crowd uh, with cutoffs. Not necessarily very good swimmers, but very intoxicated and frolicking about getting everybody wet with those big modified squirt guns you can buy. Anyway, the point of the article was that even some of the more heavily trafficked areas that are normally thought of as being filled with bros still contain numerous delightful little spots where you can go and have a good time. So, have at it. 
And in a science article that's a bit of a rough segue, but I'm going to go with it anyway, I was intrigued by uh, this article from New Scientist, July 3rd issue, notes that windblown dust from a dried-out African lake that was once the size of California is nourishing rainforests in the Amazon and algae in the Atlantic. Scientists have done some modeling studies on the Bodell Depression in Chad, which formed when the largest lake in Africa dried out about 6,000 years ago. They note it's responsible for about 56% of the dust from Africa that reaches the Amazon, which is turns out to be millions of tons per year. They've estimated how much fertilizer in the form of iron and phosphorus is in that dust, and the analysis suggests that it's a source of about 6 million tons of iron and 120,000 tons of phosphorus, which is estimated to be about 20% of what reaches the Amazon. Pretty interesting to imagine how interdependent we are on different parts of the world. On a less happy note, studies up on the North Pole have shown that not only is the ice shrinking, shrinking uh, in area significantly, what's even more significant is how much it's shrinking in volume. They're estimating that perhaps as much as two-thirds of the ice that used to be present at the North Pole during uh, the summer months is gone. Scary, scary stuff. And we should note in this program, we're not big fans of real estate developers and the real estate industry in general. Having said that, we have to confess to a bit of guilty pleasure in this huge scandal that's now (laughs) surrounding uh, the head of the Lion Real Estate uh, Corporation, which is quite big in the greater Sacramento region. Apparently, Michael Lyon, among other things, has resigned recently as a Boy Scout leader and this sort of... (laughs) Laying a little bit low, I guess you'd say, in the wake of the fact that uh, his bitter divorce proceedings have revealed to the world that he's done some things, well, that he probably shouldn't have. According to an article in the Sacramento Bee by Sam Stanton, Marjorie Lundstrom, and Denny Walsh, the FBI apparently when looking up Mr. Lyon in, in, in June of last year, a couple months after that he'd filed for divorce, um, his wife apparently told him that her husband had put some surveillance cameras hidden inside bathrooms and bedrooms of their house. Apparently he had recorded images of house guests, family, friends, and others. Apparently the FBI asked him some questions about some of these recordings he'd been doing, and his answers were described as remaining vague. He apparently didn't remember employing a 15-year-old girl who had been recorded taking a shower in the Lion family vacation home in Lake Tahoe, and furthermore denied making the tape. The article notes that uh, the first problems in the Lion marriage came about when uh, the camera thing came out of the blue. The camera thing apparently referred to an incident near the 4th of July holiday in 1992 when a newly married couple visited the Lion family at their Sacramento home. This is according to law enforcement documents. And as the husband and wife were showering in the guest bathroom, the man noticed a hole in the ceiling of the shower behind the vent. He then looked up and saw a lens in the hole. The lens was for a small, portable camera. According to the B article, the couple confronted Michael and Kim Lyon in the den, and Michael, quote, expressed that he was sorry, unquote, and agreed to give the couple the tape. During the confrontation with Michael, the man observed Kim becoming very upset, the documents state, and Kim was saying that Michael would have to go into therapy. The couple left with the tape, pulling their car over after leaving the home and smashing it and pulling the magnetic tape out of the cassette. I just wanted to get out of there, the man told agents last May. The man was reported as declining to speak with the bee, saying, quote, I feel funny saying anything. 
I don't know what he's gotten himself into. Should be noted that California's wiretapping law makes it a crime to record or eavesdrop on any confidential communication without the consent of all parties. I guess that includes taking showers. Well, at least apparently a California appellate court thinks so. It's ruled that the statute does apply to the use of hidden video cameras. Now, we should note, we're not implying in this that people who profit handsomely from California's real estate bubble uh, have a tendency to surreptitiously record naked people in their homes. But then again, ask me if I'm surprised. And uh, speaking of surprising revelations, how about this one? Fidel Castro asked the Atlantic Magazine's Jeffrey Goldberg to come down to Havana to uh, talk to him and made some rather startlingly honest assessments, such as, the Cuban model doesn't even work for us anymore. This explains why uh, Raul Castro, on behalf of the Cuban government, announced that they want to cut 500,000 jobs from the public sector. (laughs) I'd like to know where in Cuba there's a private sector. And actually, I know the answer to that, at least in part. The areas like Varadero Beach uh, do have some partnerships with foreign investors, and there are some people that have been bold enough to try and invest in Cuba, but uh, boy, their uh, Marxist-Leninist ways are pretty hard to reform. In the wake of that statement, Jaime Suchlicki from the University of Miami's Research Institute for Cuban Studies said, I guess Castro's come to the realization, like everybody else, that Marxist-Leninist governments do not function. Yeah, Cuba's apparently in uh, in pretty bad shape. Apparently the remittances that uh, used to keep the island afloat, money sent from overseas, has fallen uh, far below the peak of $800 million earlier this decade. It's apparently down to about $250 million. Tourism on the island has apparently declined about 35% this year in the wake of a faltering economy in the U.S., and also in Europe and Canada. I don't know. I'm here to tell you it's not really fixable. When the Castro brothers die, things are going to fundamentally change on that island. I did have a good friend of mine, uh, self-described as coming from a long tradition of uh, Canadian socialists, tell me that he thought that Costa Rica probably had the second-best health care system in uh, Latin America, noting that uh, it would probably become in second to Cuba, my, my jaw dropped rather precipitously at that moment in the conversation. Having seen the Cuban healthcare system in action, I said I was extremely skeptical about the reputation that Cuba seems to have. And I was asked, what do you think, they're just making up the statistics? And I said, yes. What's easier, making a non-functioning system work or making up statistics? And yes, I'm aware of the fact that Michael Moore seems to think it works pretty well. Well, I'm a physician, and I have more experience than Mr. Moore does in this particular area, and I'm here to tell you that it may work well for some people in certain instances, but by and large, it's mostly a theoretical system. That is based upon some first-hand observations I'm not going to go into at great length today, but we'll talk about that in the future if you want. But it's time for a break, so let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Got plenty more. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 